Amen. What a tremendous truth in that song. Amen. I don't know about you, but sometimes, sometimes I even distracted and start living as though I forget that I am a child of God. And uh, the enemy, uh, your flesh, that's what they want. And they want you to think that you're somehow supposed to be in bondage to fear. And uh, just a reminder this morning, you've been set free from that fear through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so celebrate that this morning in your own life and just praise him for that. Uh, This morning, we're continuing our series on relationships, relationships, mothers, brothers, and others. Okay, I don't know why I always giggle when I say that out loud. It just makes me laugh a little bit. Uh, This morning, we're finishing up the series and uh, after the service today, again, we're going to have a, a time of fellowship next door here. Uh, so please plan on staying. Uh, I'm sure there will be enough food. And uh, if there isn't enough food, just make sure you get in line before my son, my oldest. And uh, if you get behind him and there's a limit on food, you may just go hungry. So just make sure you know that. Um, I do have to say this, though. Uh, I was sitting over here during the offertory and all of that stuff, and I noticed that uh, my two sons were sitting in the front row here, and uh, my two boys were there. Um, the children's uh, boy was there. Titus, I believe, was sitting there. And then uh, two of the Stuart boys were sitting there. And so I think Jim is teaching down in junior church. Is Abby with him? Okay. Um, and I was sitting there looking at them, and there was just all of them in a row. And they looked so nice, all dressed up, little polos, little button-up shirts, just cute little boys. And then I just saw them grinning at each other and headbutting each other, and I leaned over to Sandra, I said, look at these hooligans over here, just, it's going to be troublemakers, man. I can't imagine when our, all those boys get to be about 15, and just the trouble they're going to get into, so I just want to say that obviously it's not my children that are the bad influence, it's the other children, so pray for the Stuarts and the Childers, obviously, that they will be, actually I should say this, my son, Josiah was the one turned around looking at me, just like doing this whole thing. And then Anthony's sitting there just like headbutting one of the Stuart boys. And so I was like, ah, oh, this is going to be crazy. So, no, I, I love coming to church on Sunday morning, don't you? I just love being here. Uh, I love seeing my boys and my family. I get to connect with other people in the church and uh, seeing the foundations of those future relationships. Um, I don't know. They may all hate each other when they're 15. I don't know. But I can't wait to see. I think they're going to be best of friends. And I just love that they're building those relationships now. Uh, Because guess what? When my sons are 14, 15, and 16, they're going to need some Christian guy friends to lean on. And I'm so thankful that they can say, you know what? We made some of our best friendships at church. And so just an encouragement. I know I'm not trying to isolate just those boys. Some of you are like, he didn't talk about my children. Okay, your children are great. I love you all your children. They're all beautiful and wonderful and great. God's creation, all that stuff. But I'm just making an observation. So, But I do pray that. Because I, I believe that the foundation of our relationships should and, and can start in church. And I think those are the foundations, those are the relationships that we need to nurture. Because guess what? Man, we're really in the thick of things. I find for me, it, it's mostly relationships with people that I started in church that I go to now. I mean, there's some college friends. I'll be honest, not a whole lot of high school friends. Okay, I always tell people, any of my high school friends I'm still friends with, we were also friends in church. And so I think that was the common denominator there. But man, there's something about just bonding together in the body of Christ that is greater than any other relationship. And what, what, what gets me is sometimes we limit that. We somehow play that down and we don't really foster those relationships. And it's just we're just really kind of crippling ourselves. 
Because, man, guess what? The Bible says when you really are against it and you really need some help, you should go to those that are the wise in your life. And guess how we're wise? We're wise through Christ. Listen, Dr. Phil ain't got nothing for you. You might say, well, no, I was watching the show and he got this right. Listen, anything Dr. Phil gets right, the Bible already had right. You know what I'm saying? He just figured it out. Okay? Not against Dr. Phil or Oprah or any of that kind of stuff. Okay, whatever. Watch whatever you want. But, man, when I'm really going through something, there's a handful of people that I know I can call that I know that I can say, hey, I really need some help right now. And guess what? They're relationships in the church. I have friendships outside the church, but it's those are the ones that really seem to kind of help me when I really need it. And so here's the thing I want to encourage you. We talked about it the first week. We are designed for relationship. We're designed first for relationship with the Father, and he made that available through Jesus Christ. Man, we were created for relationship with him, and then we sinned. We broke his laws, but then God in his grace and his love sent his son to restore the relationship so that in Christ, faith in Christ through grace will allow you access to the Father and you will have a relationship with him. And not one that just starts when you die, by the way. You don't have to wait till you die to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Eternal life begins the moment you receive Christ and you live in the abundant life every day that you just walk in his presence. And you enjoy that fellowship with him. So see, we're designed for relationships, first with God. But secondly, we're designed for relationships with other people. And we talked about this before. We're not an island. We're not meant to kind of just exist out there in the vast unknown just by ourselves. You're never going to make it. Now we need each other. Some of you, you married your best friend. Some of you, you, you married someone that you're like, man, we're going to be through it forever. And it's great that you have a best friend that is your spouse. But guess what? You need some healthy relationships outside of just that. Man, you need some people you can go to, to because that's how God wired us. That's how God made us. We need to learn, learn to lean on each other and to encourage that support that we have. So we need to understand we're designed for relationships. Last week, we talked about the issue of forgiveness. That as we endeavor to live in these relationships that we have, a key element to understanding our key text for the series, which was Romans. You don't need to turn there for time's sake. But Romans 12, 18 is where we started. And Paul says to the church at Rome, live peaceably with all men as much as it's possible in you. And so we talked about how can we do that? How can we live peaceably with all men? Well, it starts with understanding we need to understand forgiveness. Not just that we need to be forgiven by others, but we need to forgive. And I'm not going to re-preach the message. You can go online or you can get the CD, you get the whole series. But there's some key things we need to understand about forgiveness. What forgiveness is and what it is not. The Apostle Paul, I'll summarize it this way. He said, forgive others just as God has forgiven you through Christ Jesus. And I told you guys, man, that phrase, just as, that really stumped me for a while. Because I, I don't know if I've really forgiven people. I'm not going to stand here and say I've always done this. Forgiven people just as Christ has forgiven them. Because we'll say we forgive somebody until they get us mad, right? Nobody knows what I'm talking about. You're just going to look. <laughs> this guy, this guy, I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay? Whenever somebody makes you mad, that same person, you'll say, you know, you always. How can we say Always. How can we say always if we've forgiven them? I mean, you never, how can we say that if we've forgiven them? See, we don't really forgive them and let them go. 
we forgive them in the moment. We want to forgive them, but then we kind of hold part of that back. And there's a part of our flesh that wants to, you know why? Because it's ammunition in the clip for the next time they make you mad. You just load that clip in and you just unload on them. And you begin to remind them of all their past mistakes and sins and all of this. We talked about this very clearly. Forgiveness of sin and forgiveness of a hurt does not mean the lack of a consequence from that choice. There will and may be various consequences to the choices you made, choices you've already been forgiven for. But that's just a natural part of life, right? You sow it, you reap it. So I'm not saying it means there's never a consequence to our choices. What I'm saying is I, as an individual believer, follower of Christ, can choose to say, I forgive you and I release you. I believe as we're doing that practically in our relationships, we can live peaceably with all men. But what do we do with those that that we just can't seem to live peaceably with? We talked about this last week. We need to learn what relationships do I nurture and what relationships do I sever. Sometimes to have peace, you need distance. Sometimes to have peace, you need to say, you know what, this is not a healthy relationship for my walk with Christ. I love you. I pray for you. I'm supporting you as best I can. If you ever need anything, I'll try to be there for you. But we can't be as close as we once were because this is hurting me in my walk with Christ. Sometimes living at peace means we need to have some distance. So thirdly, this week, how are we going to wrap this up? How are we going to kind of tackle this topic of relationships? And again, we didn't go exhaustive. We didn't talk about every aspect of it. But I kind of wanted to just hit summary points. And this morning, I want to talk about maintaining relationships. Last week, we talked about repairing relationships through forgiveness. Repairing relationships through forgiveness. But now I want to talk about maintaining relationships through efforts. Through effort. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. That's where we're going to start this morning. I, I appreciate Cheryl reminding you guys to take notes. Um, I, I hope that it's helpful to you. I know I don't always put um, notes in there. I've had people ask me before, uh, hey, can you put note things in there? Um, it won't be every week, but I'll try to do it if I feel that it'll be helpful for you guys. Okay? So here, let me do this. If you, and, and I'm not going to say that if I get a certain percentage, that's what I'll do. Okay? Majority rule kind of stuff. But if you like having the note thing available, you like being able to take notes, just let me know at some point, a text, an email, a Facebook thing, verbally here. If you, if you enjoy that, let me know, because I want to make sure it's something that you guys actually want to do, okay? So if you enjoy that, let me know, and it helps me kind of know to keep doing it or not. So First uh, Peter chapter 3, look at verse 8. We're going to read verses 8 through 11. 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind. Did you ever read stuff in the Bible and you're like, yeah, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Finally, be ye all of one mind. How in the world? See, this is why we got to slow down in our Bible reading. Some of you read that and were like, cool. Until you start practically thinking like, wait, whoa, whoa. I don't want to think like Rick Fox. Are you kidding me? That's the most terrifying thought of my life. Like cold sweats just start breaking out when you think about how Rick Fox's mind works. I mean, Chris Fox is the most gracious woman you'll ever meet, okay? So you just, to just appreciate Chris because she's married. That's all, because of Rick. Just say, you know, I appreciate you. Why? Because you got the greatest cross to bear, girl. Like, I mean, it's crazy. I'm just kidding. Rick knows I love him. I appreciate him. Man, praise God. Amen. It's all about choices, man. It's all about choices. So, 
what in the world does he mean here when he says all of one mind? You know what it means? It doesn't mean we're all going to think the same. It doesn't mean uniformity. It's talking about this idea of this unity, that we all have a common focus, a drive, a common directive. And what is our common goal? What is our common focus as the church? What, what do we center around that doesn't matter our background, religiously, status, our economic level? None of that is relevant. What do we center around in the church? Jesus Christ and his gospel. And so guess what? When you are thinking about the disagreements you have with someone, stop dwelling on those and say, man, I want to be of one mind. I want to dwell on Christ. And so in our relationships, we need to say, I'm going to be of one mind. We're just going to be focused on Christ. We're going to focus on his gospel and what he has for us. And that's going to unite us. We're all going to have a common purpose, if you will. And that's the glorification of Jesus Christ. And so often we let so many petty things divide us, don't we? I said it before, the American church declares they have the answer and the forgiveness of sins. And we say it will give you peace. And then they walk into most American churches and find turmoil and division. That's great. That's like an infomercial of a knife that says it can cut 50 million things, including steel. You buy it and it breaks while you're cutting an onion. What do we call that? False and Christians are running around. No, no, we got the answer. And they come in our churches and they're like, uh, false advertising. And we wonder, why do they leave disappointed? Why do they leave discouraged? Why do they leave not really believing what we're saying? Because we have to live it out. And how do we live it out? We have a common purpose, a common mindset. It doesn't mean we're all the same, look the same, act the same, talk the same. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, in your unique personality and individuality, how can you glorify Christ as one body? How can we come together with our gifts and our talents? And as we're talking about Appreciation Sunday and serving and, and volunteering, how can we serve so that the unity of the church is what is declared because our God is one? Do you realize the church is a great representation of the Trinity? Three in one. Various personality, individuality in one person of the Godhead. And this church is representing that to the world. If there's no division in our Godhead, there can be no division in our churches because this is the body of Christ. And so Peter says to the church, be of one mind. Listen to what he says. Having compassion one for another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or riling for riling, but counterwise blessing, knowing that they are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Guile means deceit or lies. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace. There's that key word again. Seek peace. And what will happen? And ensue it. Pursue it. Chase it down. I mean, let's pray this morning. I want to ask that you would just say, God, give me wisdom. Maybe you've repaired relationships. You know you're designed for relationships, but you just want wisdom in maintaining. Just, just working on relationships. And you want wisdom on how that looks. Would you just pray with me as we ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word? Heavenly Father, as we continue through this message, I pray that everything that has been said and everything that will be said is to your glory and to your honor. Father, I pray that you'd help us in this area of relationships to have a clear understanding of our overall purpose as a follower of Christ. That it's not self-driven, but it's others-driven. Others starting with you and working down from there. 
that the very same attitude which was in Christ Jesus, the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, which has been given to us through the work of the Holy Spirit, will be lived out in our lives as we walk day to day. That when people walk in our church, they will see unity. And I thank you for this. Our church is so unified. And I'm so thankful for a church that is one mind, one spirit. That the division of years ago, it's almost hard to even imagine that it even existed. There is such a beauty in the Spirit's unity in this church, and I'm so thankful of that. Father, we don't all see eye to eye on everything. We don't all agree on every single thing, but that's okay. You don't call us to agree on every single thing. You say, well, we come together in unity as the body of Christ, focusing on Christ Jesus. So thank you for this church. Thank you for their example to this community, the lighthouse that we pray that we are to this community. I pray, Father, you'd speak through the remainder of this message. Help us to apply these truths in a practical and real way that you would be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter's challenge here in 1 Peter 3 is a strong and shocking challenge considering the individual speaking. If you think about who's speaking here, this is the same guy that only wanted to forgive someone seven times. Remember that from last week? Hey, how long should I forgive my brother that offends me? Because I'm so spiritual, I'll do it seven times. And Jesus says, no, 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 you got it all wrong, Peter. There's no limit to forgiveness. This is also the same Peter that cut off a servant's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not a very loving act, not a very compassionate act. This is the same Peter that in great fear denied Christ three times in one night. This is the same Peter that after Christ's death on the cross tells the other disciples, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going fishing. Implying, I'm done with this, I'm going back to my old job. And encourages other disciples to walk away and to go fishing, go back to their old life and just forget the whole thing. The same Peter that went through so many things like this writes and says to us, be of one mind. Have compassion for one another. Not like the guy whose ear I cut off. Don't do that. Have compassion. It's like when parents say, do as I say, not as I do. By the way, if you use that as a parent when your children were young, you should be really ashamed of yourself. That is the worst advice. No, no, children. Don't, don't shoot that person. I did, but you don't shoot them. It's amazing how many times we use that logic. No, no, you can't have ice cream before dinner, but I can. Do as I say, not as I do. Okay? It's horrible. Peter, Peter must, something must have changed in Peter. Now people will say, oh, he wasn't a Christian in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wasn't a follower of Christ. Then he became a follower of Christ after the ascension, and that's why now he's... No, I believe Peter 100% followed Jesus Christ and believed he, who he was he says he was. You know how I know that? Matthew says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the Savior. Peter knew exactly who Jesus was. And I believe Peter put his faith in Christ. I think the moment that Peter or Jesus stepped on Peter's boat and began his teaching ministry, I believe Peter was like, there's something different about this guy. I don't think it was because he wasn't a Christian. I think it was because he hadn't grown to a point of understanding and I need to surrender my thoughts, my desires to that of the Holy Spirit. And allow the Holy Spirit to lead me and to guide me. It's almost hard to imagine this is the same guy that did those things in the Gospels. But it is. And it shows the Holy Spirit never gives up on us. 
He denies Christ three times in one night because of a teenage girl and he was scared of her. And then just a short time later, he stands and preaches a message and thousands receive Christ. Because see, here's the key. It's not who you are. It's whose you are. Peter had all kinds of mistakes, but he's writing an encouragement to us. And if we're not careful, we might go, man, who is Peter? <laughs> like, let's go back a few books here, bud. Let's see what you've done. And he's telling you, listen, I've learned the hard way. And that's not how you're going to show Christ. But here's how you show Christ. Have compassion. Love as brothers. Be courteous. Be sympathetic. Be gracious to one another. Once we realize that we were created for relationships... We begin those relationships first. We begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Then we begin relationships with others, trying to have healthy and Christ-centered relationships. As we endeavor in those relationships, what's bound to happen? There will be a need for forgiveness, either to give it or to ask for it. It's just part of life with human beings that are imperfect. We forgive those that have hurt us, not because it makes us feel better, but because it's what God asks of us. But then once we go through that process, how do we just nurture our current relationships so that they remain healthy? How do we do what Peter's talking about here? Have this love for each other as a brotherly or a family-type love. While there are still many aspects to this question that we will not dive into, I would like to take a few basic ideas and share them with you for your notes. First and foremost, in your notes there, you need to realize the value of compromise. We need to realize the value of compromise. Now, I know for most of us in the church, compromise is almost considered a four-letter word, especially in our culture today. But it's not a four-letter word in the relationships that we have. And in reality, it's a, a ten-letter word. But anyway, the point is, some of you will get that today at lunch. You'll go, oh, I get it. C-O-O, -O. it's ten, okay. The point of compromise, we're not talking about compromising biblical stands. What we're talking about is in relationship, there's a give and take. And if any of you have been married for any amount of time, or you've had a long-lasting friendship with someone, I'm talking maybe like high school till like maybe you're in your 50s or even 60s, and you've had this friendship with someone, it's this long-lasting thing. Guess what you've learned? Compromise. Some of you have a personality that it's your way all the time, all the way, no questions asked. It's my way or the highway. That is a horrible philosophy for relationships. I can, I can promise you one thing. Live long enough that way and you'll have no relationships. At least no healthy ones. Because <laughs> people will get tired of you. They'll just be like, this guy's. I don't want to deal with this. Every time he wants to do it his way, she wants to do it her way. We always got to eat where they want to eat. We always got to do what they want to do. Yeah, that's a lot of fun, right? I'm sure every spouse in here would love it if their spouse did exactly, or they only did exactly what their spouse wanted to do all the time. Like, just stop for a second and think about that. All this, the married people in here. If your spouse got to pick the food every single time. Some of you might like that. Sandra would hate that. You know why? Because we would die from, like, overeating Chinese food. I don't think you can take in that MSG and live. I don't think it's possible. Okay? It's a silly illustration, but it's a truth. Compromise has to exist. You give a little to get a little. 
right? This is something so basic. Give a little, get a little. Every one of us teach our children about sharing and compromise. When little Susie's at preschool and little Billy wants her dump truck, what should little Susie do? Share her dump truck. Or say what? You can have it when I'm done playing with it. What do children usually do? It's my dumb trunk, and I punch you in the eye. Okay, that's usually how it breaks down pretty quick. Social structure, not existent in the preschool. It's more of like a prison structure, right? It's like, I want this dump truck, and I'm going to knife you to get my dump truck, or my Play-Doh, right? Like, you don't touch my Play-Doh, okay? It's just how we roll in preschool. And so what do we do when our child comes home and says, your teacher tells us, hey, your daughter punched someone over a dump truck? Yeah. <laughs> no. You don't encourage that. No, you sit down with them and you say, listen, I know you wanted the dump truck, and I know that hurt your feelings, but how could we have handled this differently? Maybe you could have shared that with them, and then they would have given it back to you to play with later. Maybe you could have played with something else. Isn't it amazing that children only want what the other child has? We have got, any parents have like an, just an insane amount of Legos in your house or had when your child was young? Raise your hand. Okay, we've got a ridiculous amount of Legos. But that one yellow one, 5,000 yellow ones just like it. But no, no, no. Josiah has the one that I need to build my one thing that I'm building. You go up there. Here, here's a whole drawer of yellow Legos. No, no, no. I need that one. Why? Well, obviously because he has it and it's making him happy. I don't want him happy. Give me the Lego, okay? So what do we do? We teach them. No, no. Share, compromise. Then we become adults. And all of a sudden, all that stuff we teach our kids goes right out the window. I mean, we'll say it, but we, man, do we live it out? Do we live out compromise? Let me ask you a question. Just real quick, think this in your own head, just in your own, just kind of a mental exercise. How can you compromise in a relationship right now as an adult that you truly believe will eliminate conflict? Do you know how many conflicts we have just because we won't compromise? We won't listen to the other person? We don't realize maybe we should just back down a little bit and let them have a little bit. Sometimes here's what's happened. And remember, we keep saying this. It's about a healthy relationship. Not a perfect one, but a healthy one. If you're part of a relationship, friendship, marriage, whatever, and you're the one always giving, always sacrificing, always compromising, and the other person never compromises, not healthy. There needs to be a balance of equal and understanding compromise. So what do we do? We have to have conversation because so much of this goes unsaid, right? Like you want something and they just keep un not compromising, not compromising. Six weeks later, you just blow up on the person. They have no idea why you're even upset. You do. You're very aware of why you're upset. They have no clue. Friendships can get this way. You just get annoyed with someone. You stop returning their texts or their calls. Community has to happen if we're going to understand compromise. I use a silly example of going to eat somewhere, okay? It could be anything from as that to what show to watch on TV. Uh, what do we do for fun on a Friday night date night? What do we do when we're hanging out with our friends? What are we going to do with this? It sounds so silly. But I'm telling you, if it's unresolved and untalked about, it will lead to something else. Compromise is key. It has to exist, and it has to be talked about. It has to be talked about. So in what ways can you give a little and kind of maybe pull back? 
not always want it your way. Right? This ain't Burger King. Okay? And I hope you guys, I don't want to give you every possible example, but I hope you guys are thinking in your own minds and your relationships. Man, how could I maybe eliminate that conflict with this person by just listening a little more and giving a little more and pulling back? Maybe I don't always have to have it my way. Maybe I don't always have to think it's got to be done this way, exactly this way, exactly that way. I hope this is starting to like maybe give some practical understanding for you. We're starting to think maybe, okay, how can I do this in my own relationships? And maybe the Holy Spirit's giving me, because I'm telling you something. To live peaceably with all men takes compromise. Now, we're not talking again. This is where so many of our diehard Christians go, I will never compromise the truth of God's word, brother. That's not what we're talking. Not that kind of compromise. Okay? Listen, we're in a culture that wants to compromise God's word all the time. We're just going to do a series here. I don't, maybe in a couple weeks. I'm still praying about when and how it's going to look. Um, but I want to do a series, something along the line, idea of, of culture wars. Looking at our culture today and saying, okay, what, what things do our culture promote as okay and the Bible clearly defines as not okay? And how do, we, how do we walk that line? How do we balance that out? How do we define that? And so we might get into something like that in a couple of weeks. I'm still praying about that. But, but we're not talking about that kind of compromise. But just in relationships over the everyday, mundane, silly things that will lead to conflict. Maybe your day doesn't have to always be your day. Maybe you can think of someone else and say, how can I give a little to someone else's life today? Maybe you've neglected compromise and tried to just push your way through relationships. You've sought forgiveness. You're working through forgiveness. Maybe there's other issues in conflict. And you've asked for forgiveness, as we talked about last week, but now you want to kind of make it real. I want to give you something real quick. Because to give a little and get a little... And to begin to work through compromise might take asking for forgiveness. But once you ask for forgiveness, there's some things that need to take place. And so this is kind of piggybacking a little bit on last week, but also on this week as well. We need to, the second point in your notes there, under number one, we need to make amends when and where necessary. If you've refused to compromise, you've bullied your way through relationships, and now you're realizing, man, that was the wrong way to do it, that was the wrong thing to do, you go back and you ask for forgiveness, now what? Now we need to make some amends. To maintain relationships, we need to be thinking about, what do I need to do to make up, if there's a way to make up for what I did to hurt that person? Not always possible, but if it is, we need to work at that. So number one, why do I make an amends? Matthew 5, 24, Jesus encouraged it in our lives, especially before worshiping him. He says this in Matthew 5, 24, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Forgiveness isn't just about, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? It's about, is there anything I do to make this up to you? Now let me just give you a little warning here. Okay? This is the danger part of this. This is where people go to extremes. If you've hurt somebody and you go to them and ask for forgiveness, say, yes, I forgive you. And you say, is there anything I can do to make this up for you? Is there anything I can do to make this right? Right? We say this, don't we? You guys know what I'm talking about? The other person is going to be tempted to do something. The other person is going to be tempted to say, yeah, and then give you the most unrealistic, unachievable expectation. Yeah, I'll forgive you, but you better do these 15 things, then I'll forgive. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about living up to someone else's standard. What we're saying is, if you've done something to hurt someone else, think practically, is there any way that I can make this up to that person? 
Be willing to listen to that person. But if it's unrealistic, it's just not even achievable, realize that may be just the hurt talking. So you let them vent that out. Maybe you give it a little while. Hey, listen, I know that's what you said, but I want to be honest with you. I, I want to make this up to you. I, don't, I can't do that. So is there anything I can do to make, you see what I'm saying? We've got to work through this. I've talked to couples before that it's almost like they expect, like, the other person to say, okay, you're going to now make it up to me by the next 15 years of perfection. <laughs> I want flowers every day. I want candy every night. I want all the dishes done when I get home. I want this. I, okay, we're not, that's ridiculous, all right? I'm using very, like, extreme examples. That's not, no one really ever said that to me. I'm just saying, I think that we struggle with this in as relationships. Maybe more so in the marriage relationship than in friendships, but I think it happens in friendships too, in the family dynamic. So sometimes I think the final thing we need to do to kind of really let forgiveness be what it is, we forgive, we release, and then we try to make amends if it's necessary or if it's possible. You see, when you do that, when you make those amends, it sets you free from the bitterness that was once controlling you. It's kind of like this. When you ask for forgiveness or forgive someone and release the offender, it's like taking a weed trimmer and just taking the weed off at the root, going down like, you know, cutting it off at the head there. But that root's still there. When you make amends or you go out of your way to kind of serve that person, it's like getting the shovel out and digging up the root and getting rid of it. Do you guys see what I'm saying? Forgiveness, instant forgiveness, removes the bitterness that's visible. But man, when we continually forgive and then make amends, it's like we're digging up the root. You guys with me so far? Are you following me? Everybody just nod your head at me if you're with me so far. If you're asleep, just keep your head down. Okay, all right. I just want to kind of get practical because I think sometimes we get in church and we don't really know how to apply what we're hearing. But I truly believe that as we're compromising, as we're giving and getting and we're trying to work through this, it's involving forgiveness and it's involving maybe making some amends. So that's why we make amends. Because Jesus set it forth and it digs up the root of bitterness. But secondly, how do we make amends? How do we make it right? I want to give you guys some practical things that I think might help. Okay, these are in your notes. Okay, these are not in stone. Okay, this isn't like 11, 12, 13, 14, however, whatever commandments you want to list them as. Okay, this is just suggestions. Okay, so how do we make amends? First of all, make a list of those you've harmed and what you did. Make a list of those you've harmed and what you did. Secondly, consider how would you like someone to make amends to you? How would you like someone to make amends to you? Now this is kind of tricky, but I want to give you four things, four keys in considering this idea of how would I actually go about making amends to someone or making something right if I needed to ask for forgiveness? First of all, timing. Number one, consider timing. The timing is crucial. You need to be patient. You need to be gracious. Okay? Don't expect instant results. There's timing to consider. Your attitude in the process needs to be considered. Attitude. If you go pridefully or arrogantly, expecting to be forgiven, expecting to just have nothing to do, that's the wrong attitude. You need to go humbly. Number three, we have no expectations. No expectations. When you go to someone and ask for forgiveness and you're trying to make it up to them, you have no expectations. Now, again, I, that's why I wanted to explain that there are sometimes unrealistic things people ask of us. So there are times we need to say, you know what, that's not realistic. 
But what I mean by no expectations is we let the person kind of talk and vent it out, okay? We've hurt them. We need to kind of show them, hey, I'm willing to listen and hear you out. And number four, and this doesn't always apply, but restitutions. Restitutions. What we mean by that is, if you, think of it this way. If you've taken money from someone or you did something that cheated someone and you go back and you say, I'm really sorry for that, it's as obvious as, I'm not going to ask you, what can I do to make it up to you? I'm going to start with saying, here's all the money I ripped you off for. You know, it, that's what we're talking about. Don't we see that principle in the Bible? The tax collector said what? I'll repay everyone that I've stolen money from. And he didn't even get told to do it. He did it as a result of an encounter with Jesus Christ. And him being forgiven, he realized, I need to make this right with other people. So when we talk about the idea of going to someone and saying, look, in my relationships... I've kind of been a bully. I've not compromised. I've wanted it my way. Maybe I've hurt someone in those relationships by doing it. I'm sorry to that person. What can I do to make it up to you? How can I make this right? Okay? You make a list. And again, this is kind of playing off last week too. Some of this doesn't apply to every relationship, but to certain ones. You make a list. You consider how would somebody else want to be amended to. And then you refocus your life. Refocus your life. What do I mean by that? You let it go. And you finally realize, okay, I've asked for forgiveness. I've made amends. I'm not going to carry the guilt of that anymore. I'm not going to let the enemy or the flesh remind me of that hurt that I caused that person because I've done all I can. God has forgiven me. I've went to that person for forgiveness, and I've sought to make amends. Now, what do you do when the person says, no, I'm not forgiving you? It's a tough one, right? Because then we go, oh, and we just carry it around. It's not on you to make them forgive you. All you do is you go and you pursue it. Hey, I'm sorry for this. I ask that you'd forgive me. You make amends if possible. But if they shut the door, they shut the door. That's on them. That's not on you. You do all that you can do, but you can't control someone else. Okay? So we don't carry that guilt around. Once we've made these decisions and we repent and we give it to him, we say, God, I'm sorry for that hurt I've caused that person. I know you've forgiven me for it in Christ. I ask that you'd help me to go to them and make this right. We don't do it to keep our salvation. We do it because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We understand what it is to be forgiven, and we want to go and serve that person so that they can understand what it is to have someone come to them and say, I, I want you to know I'm sorry for that. Now, here's the truth of this. These sound very difficult and very invasive. These steps, they're very invasive and very difficult. And the key is, they are. That's what they're meant to be. But it is needed to finalize the process of forgiveness. However, some may not be able to make amends because that person you hurt is gone, either out of the area, maybe passed on. So what do you do then? You confess it to the Lord. You write it down. You do the first step. You write down that list, and you move on. You acknowledge you hurt that person. You confess it to the Lord, and then you move on. If you can't make amends, you can't make amends. You're doing all you can do. So to talk about the of compromise, real quick. I don't want to go too much longer. I know food is... Food is simmering. You know what I'm saying? Um, there were some crockpots in there with some meatballs and some stuff just like bubbling up to the top. And I'm like, oh, uh, Greg, you're preaching this morning. I'll be in the kitchen. Um, when we talk about the compromise and needing to seek forgiveness and restoration, we need to do these things with a good heart. But how do we maintain beyond just realizing compromise? Is there anything else we can do to maintain relationships that will help us in these relationships? I truly believe, number two, quickly, we need to regularly get tune-ups. Regularly get tune-ups in our relationships. We need to get tune-ups. Let me ask a question. Anyone in here 
currently, meaning not just around the, the farm or around the yard, but you drive a vehicle that's 10 years old. 10-year-old vehicle. Raise your hand. This isn't to embarrass anybody. Okay, 10 years old. How about 15 years old? A 15-year-old vehicle. Okay. 20-year-old vehicle. Back there, one hand. One hand. Okay, all right. Okay. Anyone driving a two-year-old or newer? I'm just kidding. Don't put your hands up. I'm just kidding. Somebody's like, man, that's a lot of questions about my finances. I don't like this very much. No, we're not taking proof or anything, you know. I mean, Steve's not writing down who's tithing and who's not and the car they drive. Anyway, um, I'm kidding. We don't do that. Um, maybe we should, though. That would, no, I'm just kidding. We don't have to do that. If you drive a vehicle that's older, okay, there's no logic that you would just jump in after 15 years of this thing on the road jump in and just drive it like you did the first day or the first year. What's going to need to happen between the first year that you have it and year 15? What's going to need to take place, I don't know, every six months or so? Tune-ups, maintenance, right? Oil changes, all tires, all these things. It's completely logical that we would not expect that vehicle over time to function exactly as it did in the beginning. Man, it was brand new. He just jumped in and went, and it was great. No work, nothing needed. It was just perfect. So often, our relationships are like those kind of vehicles. When you first have a relationship with somebody, and it's brand new, friendship, dating relationship, whatever, it's always this fresh, new, there's not much work. It's just kind of, hey, free-flowing, let's just kind of hang out. And then after you develop a relationship, guess what? It gets a little bit more intensive, and now there's a little more work, and there's more conversations, and there's more misunderstandings, and there's more disagreements, and there's more, oh, I didn't know they thought that, and I didn't know he thought that. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, wait, why do you think this? And all this stuff, and guess what also happens? Those individual people have experiences and and issues and dents and dings and flat tires and whatever else, okay? Okay. And so in those relationships, guess what? we got to keep getting tune-ups and keep getting work done. Because here's the options you have. Once your relationship gets to a certain degree or a certain point, it's going to take a lot of work. Just like our vehicles, right? Just like our bodies, by the way. Okay? The longer they go, the more work they need, right? So as you think about relationships, you got two options. I either invest in this relationship or I get rid of it, trade it in, and get a new one. Do you know what our culture says? Just get a new one. Why put all that work into that one? Hey, look, here's a brand new model. Look, take that one. Okay? I mean, this is, we got to think this way. I want to think practically. It's, but it's better. Isn't it so much better to have a relationship that you've nurtured and you've fostered and you've put work into and now it's this fruitful relationship? Maybe it's a friendship, like I said, a family relationship, whatever it looks like. And listen, by the way, they're not all going to be like that. You might invest and work and nurture and work and put work, and all of a sudden, it's just a clunker on the side of the road, right? And it's just, you've done all you can do. But sometimes, if the other person is responding, remember, we can't control the other person, but the other person is responding, and they're putting work in, and they're putting the effort in, man, you've got this long-lasting, fruitful relationship. And aren't those the ones that really last? Aren't those the ones that really seem to make a difference? And so let me just say this. Whether it's a friendship, keep putting the work in. You got some dents and some dings in your relationship? Welcome to the real world. That's just life. So the marriage is in here. So the marriage is in here. You got some dents and some dings? Welcome to the club. 
But I'm promising you, it is always better to put the work in and invest in what you have than to think trading it in is the better idea. I said it back in the spring when we were doing a, a series on marriage. The grass, if you think the grass is greener on the other side, it's time to start watering your grass. So if you're in a marriage and you're like, I don't know, buddy, it looks pretty good over there. Uh-huh, just wait till you get over there. And you're going to find out, it's not better. Man, relationships are meant to be fostered and nurtured. We can get tuned up, if you will, and kind of get some work done in our relationships if we will let others into our lives, leaning on their wisdom and knowledge in this area. We can read resources from various books. Be careful there. <laughs> you can read something other than the Bible, okay? But man, I'm, I, just be careful there. You want a little tip? Never pick a book up just because someone said it's a good book and read it. Never pick a Christian author up and think, oh, it must be good because they're Christian. Man, study the author. Get to know what the author believes. Get to find out what he or her views are on the Bible. Just because somebody puts Christian on the back doesn't mean they're a follower of Jesus Christ. So when you pick up a relationship book, oh man, this is New York bestseller. Great. It could be full of junk. Why permeate your brain with that garbage? Man, just, and people say, well, there might be a nugget of truth in there, brother. That's fine. I'd rather go to the wealth of knowledge if I need some truth than have to dig around a garbage can for a nugget of truth. So just be careful there. But there's great, I mean, there's books out there and stuff. Read it. And listen, if you find a book that you're like, nah, it's 60-40. I kind of agree with most of it. His views are good, but some of the applications I don't agree with. Great. Don't do those. <laughs> Just take the principle or the philosophy of it and just run with that. Man, just start learning. Man, knowledge is always power, especially in relationships. Study. Find out what does the Bible really say about relationships, friendships, marriage relationships. Those of you that have relationships as far as married relationships or you want to be married one day, start exposing yourself to those resources. What kind of man or woman do you want to be for your spouse one day? What kind of man or woman do you want to be for your spouse today if you are married? Sandra and I, um, I think it was two years ago, we went down to Mark Gunger's conference. Uh, I think it was a couple Aprils ago. And uh, just hilarious event down in Ohio. Uh, Ohio. But whatever. Okay, it was, a bright, it was a bright spot in a very dark place. But we went down there. And here's the thing. It was a marriage conference. Do you know what married couples think when they hear marriage conference? Oh, you need something fixed. If you took your car only, or only worked on your car only when something needed to be fixed, guess what you would be doing a lot? Fixing it. But if you maintain your vehicle, you keep up on the maintenance, guess what? You're not going to have to repair as much down the road. Best car advice my stepdad ever gave me. Keep the oil changed. You'll be fine. <laughs> I thought, it can't be that easy. Man, I've got vehicles that are just running, running, running. I don't, I don't do much to them. Just kind of keep the fluids, you know, just basic stuff. Relationships are the same. If you only wait to get help when you are up against it or when there's this huge difficulty, man, you're always going to be putting out fires. But if you willfully choose, you know what? It's not about fixing anything. It's about maintaining. It's about encouragement. We went to a marriage conference, not because we needed something fixed. Well, I did. She was fine. They fixed all kinds of stuff on me. I was like, felt like I went to a boxing match. No, not really. Um, teasing. Um, 
But honestly, we went, and it was funny. People were like, you're going to a marriage conference? Everything okay? Perfect. It's great. Well, not perfect, but pretty good. You know why? Because, man, it's about just maintenance. Don't ever be ashamed to get wisdom from other people. Why would we ever be ashamed? Listen, we all know your family's not perfect. It's out. It's done. Stop trying. Just get help. Let people speak into your life. Man, and if you're not married, or if you're in a different stage of life, maybe you're looking back going, man, I wish, or I tried to get help from my relationship. I tried to do the right thing. You did all you can do. Stop beating yourself up. Walk in his grace and allow God to use you. Man, just enjoy the presence of God. But listen, we all, in our relationships, friendships, family relationships, we all need tune-ups because we all need work. (laughs) We all need work. But not only do we need work, finally, real quickly, I'm going over it. I apologize. That praise band went way too long. Um, (laughs) Jeff's just looking at me like, you want to go? Just kidding. No, finally. We not only need tune-ups, we also need a community of faith. We need a community of faith. Real quick. We need a community of faith. Throughout the church age, from the time of Jesus Christ establishing his church to today, it has never been just me and my Bible. Jesus' design for the Christian life is not just you and your Bible. That's nowhere in the New Testament. It is, however, you, your Bible, and the church. We need a community of faith. Now, in the early church, it was home churches meeting in maybe intimate service, just a handful of people. Then it grew and expanded, and it grew and expanded to gatherings like, you know, mass gatherings on a weekly basis. No matter what it looks like, we need a community of faith. We need each other for support and encouragement. But also, we need each other to stay true to the Scripture's teaching on how we should see each other in relationships. Real quick, in the 1500s, Actually, we celebrate uh, the celebration of that this year. In the 1500s, there was a great reformation that happened in the church. It brought a revival to the church as it was known at that time. But not because they, the reformers, reinvented anything, reintroduced this brand new stuff. All the reformers did was restore the mindset of the church back to the key basics of the early church in the New Testament. Martin Luther was not a great reformer because he came in and said, you guys have been doing it all wrong. Here, here, do it totally different like we've never done before. No, no. He said, hey, let's go back to how they did it in the beginning and watch God bless. The reformers just got rid of the false authorities that wanted to try to control the people. But here's what happened as a negative. Over time, people started saying, well, if I can't trust the authority of the head church and all the the perversion that happened there, I must not be able to trust any of the authority in the church, that leads to, so I don't even really need the church. I've just, I've got my Bible. I'm good. Now, what does the Bible say? We have a Holy Spirit that teaches us that we need no teacher. I believe that. I agree with that. But I'm telling you right now, no heresy has ever started, as far as I know, with someone that was actively plugged into a local church. It's always somebody that just kind of fringe goes out over here spends some time out here, and all of a sudden comes back to the church and says, hey guys, you ever look at it this way? It's amazing how when we're surrounded by a community of support, a community of faith, it keeps us focused on the right things in the Word of God. 
Isn't it amazing how that works? Man, we help each other, not just to stay encouraged and supported, but we draw each other back to the truth of Scripture. So if somebody in a church starts thinking, man, I think this verse means this, and it's completely contrary to the Word of God, the rest of the church can say, man, listen, I don't know where you're getting that from, but the Bible clearly says this. And you can draw that person back to a true understanding of Scripture. But when you're alone for a long period of time, isolated from a church, isolated from Bible teaching, man, we start kind of creating these own little things. And I really want to spend more time on this. Maybe we'll get into it more next week. But I want to encourage you. We need a community of faith. The Word of God was never given to meant to be individually just you in, in the Bible. It's meant to be given to a community of faith. The letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians was written to the church of Ephesus, the church of Rome, the church of Colossae. People say, what about Timothy and Titus? He gave them to them. Why? Because they were pastors of churches. And the entire New Testament structure is in within the church and how we can grow as a church to go out into the world to reach the world for Christ. We need each other. We need a community of faith so that we can stay focused on the truths of Scripture and how we should see each other. Hebrews chapter 10, last passage. I'm going to read it. Some of you put your Bibles away. That's cool. Uh, Don't even worry about it. It's in the notes there. Hebrews chapter 10, referenced here, is at the very bottom of your handout. 10, uh, 22 through 25. Hebrews 10, 22 through 25. Listen to what the Word of God says. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure blood. Talking about salvation. Let us hold fast the profession of our hope without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Talking about Christ promised us that he would hold on to us. Verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. People are like, well, there it is. There's the verse on going to church. That's not even what I'm focusing on. Listen to what it says. As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Man, we need to push each other and exhort each other to Christ. Why? Because if I'm isolated just in my own, yes, God and the Holy Spirit can strengthen me and speak to me, but man, when I'm in the church, I get that exhortation, that support, that encouragement, and that accountability to stay focused on the truth of God's word. That I don't drift and waver into different heresy or wrong teaching or thinking. I can stay focused on the word of God. Man, we need to exhort each other and not less but more as we see the day approaching. Relationships take work. Relationships take work. There is no way around it. It's something we all need to understand. And as I said in the first talk, I believe the work is always worth it. However, remember, some relationships you will nurture and tend to, but others are harmful to you in your Christian walk. Those need to be severed. This doesn't mean we don't love and pray for them, but we are not as close to them as we once were because we realize that it's important that I protect my health with Christ and that walk so that I can be a blessing to others. I want to ask you to do this. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. And we are going to have a time of prayer, just a very short invitation. Um, And as you respond to him this morning, here's what I want you to do. Lord, I just want wisdom in how to maintain in relationships. Lord, I want wisdom in how to to compromise and to be Christ-like in my understanding of a healthy relationship. But maybe you're here this morning, and we're going to go a little bit of a different way in the invitation. Because I want to give you a chance to respond. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've tried to do all you can do. 
you've invested in relationships, you've, you've put your heart into them, you've put work into them, you've prayed about them, you've talked to other people about them, you've read books on them, you've gone to seminars about them, you have done all that you can do, and the other person is just not responding, is just not interested, is just disconnected, maybe in some cases literally, in other cases metaphorically, just kind of distancing themselves. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Maybe this morning, as we close in prayer and have this invitation, that you would just say, you know what, Lord? I just need you. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there and just continue to pray. Lord, I need you to set me free from that. Lord, I need you to show me that I've done all I can do. I'm going to leave this guilt here. I'm going to leave this relationship in your hands. And if you want to restore it, may you be glorified. If you don't, or if it's not your will, or the other person is rather not responding, therefore it won't happen, and you won't force them, then I pray that you give me a peace about that. But I pray that in our relationships as a whole, that we'll go into this week and say, Lord, every single relationship that I have, I want to glorify you. And so maybe you would do this. Maybe you want to come and bend a knee and say, God, I'm going to pray for my coworker. Then in my relationship with them, I'll show them Christ. Lord, I'm going to pray for my neighbor. Then in my relationship with them, I'll show them Christ. I'll pray for my boss. I'll pray for my cousin. I'll pray for my sister, brother, mom, aunt, uncle, whatever. Whatever relationship. But you're going to come this morning, and you're not going to worry about anyone else. You're just going to bow a knee and say, God, I'm giving my relationships to you. No matter what it looks like, I want you to use me to be a testimony to those in my life. Father, would you speak to this time? We give you all the glory and all the praise, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? As these guys lead us in a, in a verse of song, would you respond? You want to come give them a relationship? Don't even wait. Come and take a knee. God, I'm giving all my relationships to you. Use me to be a blessing to my neighbors, my coworkers. Come and make that commitment. Step out now. Don't wait. Step out and say, God, I'm giving you my relationships. Would you use me to be a blessing and watch God do great things as we sing together and you respond to what he's doing?